Good morning. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church. Um, thank you all for worshiping with us today. Um, we're just going to um, give you a few announcements. Uh, as always, our vision uh, is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. And our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and glorify Jesus. Um, if you look at your bulletin, which there are several in the back if you didn't grab one, um, there's a QR code on the front. And that connects you to a lot of our online uh, information, um, social media platforms, everything in one place. Uh, also, as a giving of tithes and offerings, if you want to do that online, that's also on there. Um, there's also a menu item on there for first-time guests, if you want to click that. And that has other ways to enter some info and get more info about our church. Um, we do believe that giving of tithes and offerings is a part of our worship. Um, you can do that online, or you can mail a check to our address, which is on the bulletin there. There's also a place in the back if that uh, works for you, too. Um, a few announcements for this week. Uh, tomorrow being Labor Day, the church office will be closed. Um, so hopefully everyone is, is uh, able to enjoy the day off. Um, and we're letting our, our staff off too. Um, this Wednesday will be the Goodson Men's Group. We'll meet here at the church house at 5 p.m. Um, and Thursday, September 7th, will be the Shipman Men's Group. They meet at Just Love Coffee at 7 a.m. And then Friday will be the O'Neill Men's Group. They're a little bit early risers. They're 6.30 a.m. And they'll meet at Bridge Street at Panera. Um, there is a youth lock-in coming up this weekend, too, so if you have youth, uh, that'll be uh, uh, emailed more instructions about that, uh, but that is always a fun time, too. Um, those are your announcements, so cover yourself with the accordion. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Would you please stand with me as this little song just allows us to make some declarations to ourselves um, and to one another about our purpose in being here. And we have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him to worship Christ the Lord.
call to worship this morning is from Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5. Please join with me where it makes people. You'll see that on the screen as well as in your worship guide. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. Amen? Amen.
grateful that you hear us because we have a living God, the true and living God. He hears all of our praise. Amen? Grateful that you hear us. We don't have to wonder. He hears all of our cries, all of our joy and laughter and all of our praises.
Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, let's have a time now, just a, uh, a prayer of praise, just to praise him. Uh, so let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we praise you, Lord, for you are worthy to be praised. Uh, you have created everything around us. Uh, you have made us. Uh, um, there's, there's nothing good in us, Lord, that's not from you. And uh, uh, we uh, are so glad to be here and worship you, Lord. Uh, pray that you would, you would give us hearts of worship. Um, and uh, um, uh, we, we don't understand the depths of our sin, Lord. We, we think we're, we're okay or we're, you know, uh, we're doing okay. We, we mess up a little bit here and there. Uh, but you see all that in spite of that, Lord. You have grace on us and you love us. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord, uh, as we, we see that more and more as, as we are. Uh, sanctified over time, Lord, pray that you would uh, just show us our need of you, and uh, uh, and uh, we, we praise you, Lord, for um, your beautiful creation, Lord, uh, from the smallest particles to the, the largest galaxies, Lord, uh, you've made it all, you've, uh, you've made all of us, um, and uh, you govern everything, Lord, nothing takes you by surprise. Uh, you're in complete control of everything going on, even when we don't understand, Lord. Uh, uh, and you tell you tell Job, uh, who are you to question uh, what I've done, Lord, uh, what I've done for you? And uh, uh, we praise you, Lord, that uh, you know what's going on, even when we don't, Lord. We trust in you, and uh, you are uh, a loving God and merciful. Uh, we thank you for your perfection and everything, Lord. And uh, uh, we pray that our worship today will be... Uh, pleasing to you, Lord, and your spirit will be at work here, and um, all these, all this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now if you'll join me for the confession of sin. All right, uh, it's from Psalm 16, 4. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So let's reflect on this as we confess our sin silently. And now we have assurance of pardon from uh, Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And we, we thank God for that. Uh, even when we do pursue other things, other gods that are not really gods, uh, he pursues us, and, and uh, his right hand cannot be shaken. If you are able, please stand with me as we sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of
Everybody say amen. Good morning. I forgot to get uh, a mic, so I, I guess I'm supposed to use this one. Uh, I want you to do a couple of things. Let me go ahead and introduce myself. I've been here several times before, but I'm Pastor Mike Jones. Uh, I pastor Harvest Community Church in Birmingham. Uh, I uh, am very, very good friends with your pastor, uh, Pastor Alex. I don't know if you all remember, but when uh, Amos and, and his lovely wife were commissioned to church plants, I was here to preach then. Been here a number of times, so uh, I feel like I'm family. So uh, I am supposed to pray the prayer of supplication, but I want you all to help me pray the prayer of supplication. If everybody would stand up. And I want you to get a partner, somebody that you didn't come to church with. I want you to pair up. It means you're going to have to move, and then I'm going to give you some instructions once you move in that place. Um, yes, I have been here a number of times before, but I think this is the first time I really paid attention to your church vision. What a great church vision. Broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Uh, last week... Uh, we had uh, what we called Vacation Bible School, the back-to-school edition, and we had three days of it. We talked about Jesus being our prophet, priest, and king. So on Tuesday night, we talked about him being our prophet. On Wednesday night, we talked about him being our priest, and then uh, I'll put it on. You can put it up here. I'll put it on after we do the exercise. And on Thursday night, we talked about him being king. Well, I couldn't make it. Tuesday or Wednesday night, and I got out of the car on Thursday night because I was responsible for teaching the adults about Jesus being our king. And one of the ladies in our church, she's a young lady, she's probably 35 years old, a sweet, sweet girl. She, she gets out of her car, she sees me and says, Pastor Mike, and starts weeping. I said, sweetheart, what's going on? She, she's hyperventilating, crying. And I said, let's go in the office so we can talk. And as we were talking, she said, Pastor Mike, last night we talked about Jesus being our priest and how he intercedes for us and how he prays for us. And, and since yesterday, I've just been weeping because I know Jesus prays for me, but there's nobody else that I know of that prays for me. And she went on to talk about how she's that one in the family. You know, you have that one person in the family that's responsible that one person that everybody leans on, that one person who, who has not just uh, physical resources, but spiritual resources, emotional resources, can make everything right. She's that one, and she's one of the younger people in the family. And she says, Pastor Mike, I'm just spent. I need somebody to pray for me. So occasionally what we'll do in our church is to get in pairs. I, I see you guys have three. But I want you to ask two questions of each person that's in your group, okay? The first question is, what is your greatest joy? I want you to repeat after me. What's your greatest joy? That's the, the question you're going to ask. And then the second question is, what is your greatest challenge? Now, let me tell you what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to give every single detail about your greatest joy and your greatest challenge, what I want you to do is just to give a, a general category. So it could be some wonderful things happening in your family. You don't have to tell everything. You just say, my greatest joy is my family. It could be that you, you've got some challenges on your job, right? 
So you don't have to tell them, you know, that, that your uh, manager is a mean old ogre. You don't have to tell them all about that. You just say, my greatest challenge is my greatest joy. So then once you discover greatest joy and greatest challenge, you pray for each other. And then after a season, when you hear me to start to pray, that'll be our time of prayer supplication, and I'll close, and then you can be seated. Y'all got it? All right. Why don't you go ahead and get the greatest joy, greatest challenge. Father God, we do thank you so much for your goodness and your grace toward each one of us. Father, we thank you that you desire for us to pray more than we pray. And Father, we thank you that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Your word says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You tell us in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 that we're to make prayers and supplications for all men. Father, you tell us that we're to pray without ceasing. You tell us in your word that now, uh, but now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you might receive that your joy may be made full. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the power of prayer. We thank you, Father, that we can pray for one another that we can intercede for one another, that we can see you work, Father. We give you thanks for our greatest joys, and we lift up our greatest challenges to you. And we pray, Father, and know that you will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we could ask or think. In Jesus' name, won't you say amen? Amen and amen. Won't you hug the person that you shared with and get to your seat?
Amen. As you're going to your seat, I'll just give you a word of exhortation. Uh, On your job, that person that uh, you really hadn't had a talk with, that you need to have a talk with, you might want to just ask them, hey, let's go to lunch and then ask them about their greatest joy and their greatest challenge and then just ask, can I pray for you? Uh, I've been in ministry, next year will be 40 years, and I don't think I can count on one hand the number of people that have, have turned me down when I said, when I asked, can I pray for you? So that's a wonderful opportunity for ministry. About uh, a year ago, I met with one of my mentors, and we went to breakfast. And I'll never forget uh, how he imparted to me ministry. Our server comes over to the table, and she takes our order. And before she leaves, my mentor says, Excuse me, miss, tell me your name again. And she told us her name. And then he went on to say, We're both Christians, and before we eat our food, we're going to pray. And we want to know, is there anything that we could pray for you? This young lady was in school. She said, you can really pray for school. I'm having difficulty in a few of my classes. Please pray. And please pray that I'm able to keep this job because finances have been a real struggle. And so she brought our food. We prayed for our food, and we prayed for her by name. It it wasn't uh, weird, it wasn't threatening, it wasn't anything like this, but I think that God's people today need to be equipped for ministry. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. As simple as asking someone, what's your greatest joy, what's your greatest challenge, and then praying for them. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, quickly turn to Mark chapter 5. It's a long passage of Scripture that I'm going to read, and it's a whole lot easier for you. If you follow along with it, I'll wait for a minute for you to find it. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 21. It's a very familiar passage. It's the passage of, of, uh, about a man named Jairus, uh, ruler of the synagogue. I'm sorry, I said Matthew, didn't I? I meant Mark, Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. One book over, Mark 5, 21. Mark 5:21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, "My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live." So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I only may touch his clothes. I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, 
you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. Then they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered there uh, where the child was, was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithakumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose, walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said, and, and, uh, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Let everybody say amen. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the subject, Jairus' walk of faith. Jairus' walk of faith. Can we pray just for a minute? Father God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word right now. We ask, Father, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and that as he is lifted up, we might see him. And as we see him, we might believe on him. And as we believe on him, we might be saved. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen and amen and amen. At our church in Birmingham, I'm concluding a series entitled uh, How to Develop Great Faith. First week of that series, we talked about this centurion who had a servant who was ill, and he called Jesus. He asked some elders to go get Jesus, and he, Jesus approaches his house, and he says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm a man who exercises authority, and I know you do too. All you do have to do is say the word. Jesus says the word. His servant is healed. And Jesus responds by saying, I have not seen this great faith in all of Israel. He was a Gentile. Part two of that series was a woman, uh, Patience. She was a Syrophoenician woman. She was also a Gentile. She... Uh, went to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus uh, says, knowing that she was a Gentile woman, says it's not fit to give the bread for the children, the Jews, to the dogs, the Gentiles. But she responds by saying, well, Lord, even the dogs are able to eat the crumbs from the table of the children. And Jesus responds, your, your daughter is well. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. In two separate occasions, Jesus talks about great faith. In two separate occasions, Jesus talks about it 
with, with what I would call non-called people who exercised faith in Jesus Christ. As I got to, toward the end of the series, we, we see Jairus here. And, and, and Jairus is a, a, a wonderful example of faith. This whole journey of talking about great faith was stimulated by a Bible study I was in uh, over 30 years ago. And in that Bible study, the Bible study leader asked about eight of us who were in the study, what's the most important thing in the Christian life? One person said Bible study. and The Bible study teacher said, no, sir. Another person said prayer. He said, no, sir. Another person said, well, evangelism is the most important thing in the Christian life. He said, no, sir. He said, well, what about discipleship or missions or fellowship or the church? No, sir. This individual said that the most important thing in the Christian life is our faith in Jesus Christ. And his, his, his foundation for saying that is Hebrews eleven six, which says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's by faith. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word is the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, it, it, it says in Second Corinthians that, that uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. It goes on to, to say that, that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is so important that we are saved by our faith. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. Now let me ask you a question. How is your faith today? Jairus centers upon three areas of faith. Three areas of faith that all of us face. And men and women, I believe that we are living in a day and age where the world is going to hell in a handbasket and we as God's people need to give them an answer. I believe that the world is hungry and we have to tell them where they can find the source of bread that will feed them. Men and women, you need to hear this message because you there are people on your job that need to know about your faith. There are people in your family that need to know about your faith. It is so important, these three areas that there are questions that the world is ask, asking that we as the church need to have answers for. Now let me recount the story. Jesus says, it says in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, that he's gone to the other side. If you read the entire chapter, you'll know at the beginning of the chapter that he heals a man who's racked with demons. He's on the side of, of, of this body of water that, that uh, is a Gentile side. He comes over to the other side, which is a Jewish side. He comes there, and then there he encounters a man named Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogue. He's not a priest. He's the ruler. He's kind of like the administrator of the synagogue. He's responsible for property, and he's responsible for the upkeep of the synagogue. He is a ruler of the synagogue. He's almost like a a lay minister. His daughter is sick to the point of death. He finds out that Jesus is coming. He comes to Jesus, falls down at him, begs him, and says, My daughter is sick. I need you to come. All you have to do is say the word, and I know she'll be healed. Jesus decides to go with Jairus. 
He goes with him. However, upon going, there is such a crowd that there is a woman with an issue of blood, a problem that she has had for 12 years. She's gone to the doctors. The doctors couldn't help her. She spent all of her money. And no, the problem got worse. But she decides that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that she will be healed. Men and women, this passage here in Mark chapter 5 is called the miracle on the way to a miracle. And he performs a miracle and this woman is healed. He has a discussion with her. And then after his discussion with her, he moves on to Jairus' house where he finds that the child is dead. Matter of fact, some of the people from the house give word to Jairus, don't trouble him anymore because your daughter is dead. Well, there are people that ridicule Jesus because he says, well, she's just sleeping, meaning it's not over yet. I can make her rise. He puts them out. And men and women, there's a point at which when we're believing God for something, we need to put the unbelievers out. Amen or oh me. And so Jesus raises her from the dead. My question is, what do we learn from Jairus? I think we learn three things. Point number one is simply this. I think that Jairus' walk of faith, what he had to learn is to deal with delays. How do you deal with delays? He asked Jesus to come. His daughter is, is, is sick to the point of death. But the scripture says in verses 25 through 28, Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years suffered many things under the physicians. She heard about Jesus. She says, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be well. He discovers that there's virtue or power that has come out from us. He says, Who touched me? She's convicted. She comes, and they're having a conversation. You can only imagine what Jairus feels. Now listen, I ask you first, and here you are dealing with her. She cutting the line. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, she is at the point of death, and you're stuck. we got to get to the house in a hurry. Men and women, I believe that the same problem of faith that Jairus had, we have. I think many of us have problems with delays. I think many of us have trusted God to do some things in our lives, and because it didn't happen right away, we're disappointed. We, 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 we think that, that God has forgotten about us. We think that he's put us up on the shelf. We see God doing things in the lives of other people. The problem is that God has given us this delay for a purpose. And men and women, we need to learn how to wait. I know we live in a microwave society. I know we want it right now. He made uh, Moses wait 40 years. He made David wait 10 years before David became king. Listen, we've got to learn how to wait. We've got to learn how to be, wait for it, wait for it, patient. Amen or oh, oh me? Oh me. we got to learn how to wait. And men and women, let me give you two things if you're taking notes about waiting. One of the reasons why God uh, allows delays to happen in our lives is, number one, to teach us how to trust. We've got to trust God. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. 
Men and women, I grew up in the rural part of, uh, well, my parents were from the rural part of California. Most people think California, you immediately think Los Angeles or San Francisco or some other big city. But many don't know that California is a huge agricultural state. Well, I had some cousins that grew up in Button Willow, California. It is the cotton capital of Kern County. And uh, they were farmers. And uh, once I got saved, I had a discussion with one of my cousins who took over the business. And I said, cousin, your business is all about faith. All about faith. You have to, by faith, put that seed in the ground. You got to, by faith, water that seed. You got to, by faith, trust that God is going to give some sunlight. You got to, by faith, trust that that God is allowing and working and doing some things underneath that soil that's going to sprout up later on. You got to, by faith, trust that those weeds aren't going to choke out that cotton. You got to, by faith, hire some folks to weed it and to pick it and then put it on the market. Your whole industry of farming is by faith. And men and women, once you put it in the seed in the ground, you got to wait. You got to trust. But not only does God allow delays in our lives so that we can trust him, but he also allows delays in our lives to teach us to submit to his sovereign will. Teach us how to submit. Men and women, you notice in the text that you do not hear Jairus saying a word. He doesn't say, hurry up, Jesus. He doesn't start commanding Jesus to to come on. He doesn't say, now listen, I was first. She doesn't, uh, 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 no, you don't even need to be dealing with her. And one of the lessons that I've had to learn in my relationship with God is this. My crisis is not Jesus' emergency. My crisis ain't his emergency. So I may be going, you know, pulling out what little hair I have. But Jesus is just as calm and say, I'll be there when I get there. There's this wonderful, wonderful uh, song. Uh, it was an old song now, but it's called Sovereign. That God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Dealing with delays. But not only that, I think that great faith is not just dealing with delays, but great faith is dealing with discouragement. Discouragement. Look at the text. In verse 35 and 36, it says, While he was still speaking to the woman, some came from the rulers of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't be afraid, only believe. Notice, some people came and said, hey, your daughter is dead. You don't even need to trouble him anymore. How discouraging is that? Let me put a parenthesis there and give you probably a little bit more information on me than you need to have. But one of the things about your vision, broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love, you're looking at a person that battles with discouragement. You, you look at a prayer. I know I'm a preacher. Don't look at me like that. I know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? I'm just the one opening up right now. I deal with discouragement. There was a time and a period 
where, where I would go home uh, after work. I'd leave my, my church office about 5 or 6 o'clock, and I'd crawl into bed because I was discouraged. Things weren't going the way I thought that they should go. Things weren't working out the way I thought that they should work out. People weren't doing things I thought that they should do. There were people that were leaving the church. There was a whole lot more month at the end of the money. Discouragement happens, y'all. It happens. And men and women, if you don't think that you're living around people who are discouraged, you just keep living. There is a story behind every single face. Just think how discouraged this is. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble him anymore. Not only was the announcement discouraging, but the follow-up was even more discouraging. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore with it. As if Jesus is not concerned about what's going on in your life. Can I give you a word about discouragement? I don't know if you have paid attention to your Bible, all 66 books, but there is one book of the Bible that I think that God has placed in the 66 books in the canon to help specifically with discouragement and depression, and that's the book of Psalms. There are Psalms that are written uh, by, by David and by others, and they are so discouraged. They are so downcast. They are so... And what they say gives words to sometimes how I feel. Listen to this. Psalm uh, 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Don't you feel like that sometimes? Psalm 42, 7. Deep calls unto deep in the roar of, of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Psalm 6, verse 3, My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Men and women, I know what your God did it praise looks like. I want to know how your God didn't do it praise looks like. I know how excited you get when God has answered prayer. I want to see what, how excited you are when he doesn't answer the prayer. I want to see when, 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 when you're not popular and people aren't saying nice things about you and they're not affirming you and patting you on the back. Men and women, we got to fight through it. The Old Testament says that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself. Sometimes you got to grab that Bible and stay in that Bible until you get a word from God that will excite you. Sometimes you got to call on mentors and call on pastors and call on your spiritual directors or whoever it is that loves you and will speak honestly to you. I remember I was so discouraged and so down one summer. I was working with the youth, and I was going here and going there and going there. And, and, and it's almost like what Vince Lombardi said, the famous football coach, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I was so tired, I got discouraged because I was just spent. I didn't have any more. And I went to a mentor, and I was telling about it, and he asked me one question. He didn't, even, he, he, didn't even, he didn't even shed a tear for me. I was wanting him to be discouraged too. And he said, are you a pastor or a youth worker? I said, I'm a pastor. Well, then stop doing the youth worker's job. He said, are you a pastor or are you an evangelist? 
Say, well, I'm a pastor. Well, then stop going here and there and everywhere because you're a pastor. Uh, Are you Jesus? No, sir. Then stop trying to fix it for everybody. Men and women, I was, hey, I straightened up a little bit there. I got a little encouraged. You know, I was encouraged because I needed to hear that, right? Let me tell you what Jesus told Jairus. Jairus got that discouraging word, your daughter is dead, don't trouble him anymore. You know what Jesus' response was? Do not be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid. Don't waddle in fear. Don't listen to what he said. Don't be discouraged. Keep your eyes focused on me. Only believe. Put your faith, put your trust, put your confidence in me. And men and women... That is how you demonstrate great faith. Great faith through times of delays when Jesus doesn't show up when you want him to. Great faith when there are times of discouragement, when when, when the world seems to be crashing down on you. Don't fear, only believe. Delays, discouragement, but how about death? Men and women, the last few years, I've been a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It's, it's, it's almost like since 1988, over and over, it's just been more grief and more grief. My mother died in 1988. My dad died in 2005. My father-in-law died in 2013. My brother, my only brother, died in 2019. My, my mother-in-law died in 2020. The interesting thing about 2020 is that I suffered my third heart attack. Had a heart attack in 2011, had a heart attack in 2018, had a heart attack in 2020, 2011, 2018. I had five stents put in my heart so I could live. 2020, the doctor said stents aren't going to work. We need to do open heart surgery. You're looking at a man who's had three heart attacks and had a triple bypass. I'm, I'm, I'm a walking miracle. But over and over and over again, it's been one sorrow after another sorrow. I had that heart attack and the open heart surgery in conjunction with my mother-in-law's death. My mother-in-law was funeralized on a Friday at 11 o'clock. That same Friday at 11 o'clock, I was under the knife. I couldn't be there. Men and women, it's hard. It's hard. But if there's any ministry that the church should have, And I know some of you all are so young, you hadn't experienced that. But when you get into your sixth or seventh decade like I am, death is real. And you need to know how to deal with it. And when Jesus is said about Jesus that he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, you need to know the processes. You need to know how to navigate through it. You need to know how to go through and not stay in. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. Amen. But here Jairus finds that his daughter is dead. The good thing is that Jairus is with Jesus. Jesus is there. And there's some interesting things in the passage that I want to pull out that that might be helpful here. Number one, Jesus is not uh, dismissing the fact that this child is dead when he says that she's sleeping. She really is dead. But the issue becomes... Can you demonstrate your faith in times of grief? 
Jesus is there with Jairus, and Jesus decides to put out all of the people that would compound the problem of unbelief. He decides to put out all the others. And you'll notice that the only people there are the little girl's parents, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. So the only people there are the little girl's parents, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the Lord Jesus. You need to remember that. Men and women, there's so many interesting things about this, 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 this passage. Number one is the parallels between the woman with the issue of blood and this little girl. The woman with the issue of blood had the issue for 12 years. This little girl was 12 years old. The woman with the issue of blood was female. This little girl is female. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. This little girl was a daughter as well. But the interesting thing about this this woman with the issue of blood and the little girl is both of them are unclean. Woman with the issue of blood, the Old Testament says that if a woman has a flow of blood like that, she is not to be touched because she's unclean. The Old Testament says that you're not to touch a, uh, a dead person. Jesus touches her and tells her to arise. Men and women, I'm so glad that Jesus touches unclean things. I'm so glad that he touches unclean things because I'm unclean. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm just like the Apostle Paul. It's a worthy statement, worthy, a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ died for sinners of which I'm chief. I'm so glad he just touches unclean things. I'm so glad he touches people who aren't perfect. I'm so glad he touches people who don't measure up. I'm so glad he touches people with issues, with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'm so glad that he touches unclean things. I know y'all are perfect, but I'm glad he touches unclean things because I'm unclean. And I'm so glad for his forgiveness. I'm so glad for his grace. And I'm so glad for his love. But not only that, in dealing with death, he touches unclean things. But notice the picture. The parents are there. The disciples are there. And so is Jesus. Do you realize what Jesus is doing for Jairus' faith? Jesus is living out and, and giving him a picture of John 11 where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He, believe, he who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, Pastor Mike, how is he the resurrection and the life? This is a picture of heaven, y'all. When I die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I close my eyes on this side, I'm going to open my eyes to loved ones, to his disciples, and to Jesus himself. Did you see it? I'm going to open my eyes to loved ones, even loved ones that I've never met that have trusted Jesus Christ in the Lord. Pastor, how can you say that? Come here, Mount of Transfiguration. How did they know that that was Moses and Elijah who lived hundreds of years before they did, but they recognized him? How did they do that? Because time and space are no more. 
and you have these spiritual eyes and spiritual bodies and all time, it's going to be wrapped up in one so you will see them. I'm going to see mama again. I'm going to see daddy again. I'm going to see brother again. I'm going to see them again because when I close my eyes on this side, I'm going to open my eyes to them. Just like this picture, when this baby opened up her eyes, she saw her parents, she saw the disciples, and she saw Jesus himself. I don't know if she'd ever seen Jesus before, but she saw him then. And many women, that faith that says, I'm willing to trust you through my delays. I'm willing to trust you through my discouragement. I'm even willing to trust you through my death. Men and women, I'll close with this. Probably one of the passages of Scripture that has encouraged me uh, more than any the last number of years. It's taken me through the pandemic. It's taken me through COVID that's went through our household. It's taken me through some of these, these, these tragic events in my life. It's taken me through the recognition of my own mortality. And that is Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. And it's all about Jesus, y'all. Because faith is not faith in faith. Faith is not faith generic. Faith is not faith that's anonymous. Faith is faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is in him. Don't listen to the hype that you see on TV. Some of these folks talk about faith and don't even mention Jesus' name. It is faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is faith in his virgin birth. It is faith that he took 12 disciples with him. It is faith that he journeyed to the cross. It is faith that his blood covers my sin. It is faith that he was buried and he really was dead. It is faith that he rose again on the third day. It is faith to believe that he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. It's faith. And in Philippians chapter 2, that passage as if, as if Paul was given a benediction, he says, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's my faith. That's my faith. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus of Nazareth. My faith is in him and in him alone. For my salvation, a great faith, because he takes me through delays. He takes me through my discouragements, and he even takes me through death. In Jesus' name, won't each person say amen. Father God, take your word. Use it as you will. I know it doesn't come back void. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the church say amen. Amen. God is so good. If you would, please stand um, as we sing our closing song, if you're able to stand.